Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. We are in a sermon series titled Resurrection Stories. Uh, which is pretty much what it sounds like. These are stories that we've been going through from the scriptures of somebody who was once dead and then has been raised to new life. Today's resurrection story is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus out of the dead. And I'll I'll tell you, it's one of my favorite stories in the entire scripture. Um, And it's my favorite resurrection story other than Jesus's himself. Um, But I'm excited to open up the word today because not only does this story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead um, have implications for Jesus' own life, ironically it's the event that moves Jesus towards his own death and resurrection, Uh, but it's also a story that has implications today for us in the here and now. You know, resurrection is not just something that that has effects for us in the future, although it does, but it also has effects for us today. And so what I hope that you'll see uh, as we get into the word today uh, is that resurrection calls out to you as well. So let's pray, and then we will read the scripture together. God, we pray that above all else this morning, you would be glorified. Guide us as we speak and we hear these words. Through Jesus we pray, amen. Well, I'll warn you, this uh, scripture from John 11 is a lengthy one, um, but I can't think of a better way for us to spend a morning than reading a large chunk of scripture together. So join me as we read from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll jump down to verse 17 through 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Martha was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, Though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and he is calling for you. 
And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up and go out quickly. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said to her, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in John's Gospel, from which we just read, there are a handful of these so-called signs that Jesus does. Seven of them. And And each of these signs reveal bit by bit the glory of God. Each one getting more incredible and impressive than the next. John tells the story of Jesus revealing God's glory. And often these are accompanied with some pretty interesting claims. These are claims that Jesus makes about himself that would have sounded weird to people, maybe just as weird as they sound, uh, as, as weird as they sound to you and me today. They would have sounded weird to the people back then too. Jesus makes comments and claims like, I am the light, and I am the resurrection and the life, like what we just read from our scripture today. Now, if you think about it, what these claims really are, are claims of deity. They're claims to be God. Now, the problem with claims to be God is that you either back them up or you don't. And so if you can't back up a claim to be God, there's really just two options. You're either deceiving others or you're deceiving yourself. Maybe you're doing both. But if you make a claim to be God and you somehow back it up, everything changes. Because you must be who you say that you are. In the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, we see him back up a claim in an incredible way. Now, in this story, I hope that what you'll see, as we look at the pinnacle gospel sign of Jesus before he goes to his Passion Week here in raising Lazarus, I hope that you'll see that resurrection doesn't just have implications for someday in the future, but it has implications for us today as well. New life is already being ushered in. 
So, as we look at the story of Jesus raising the dead man Lazarus, I hope that what you'll see is that resurrection does three things. We'll look at this story by first saying that resurrection confuses us. Second, resurrection cries with us. And third, resurrection calls out to us. So first, resurrection confuses us. You know, oftentimes, resurrection doesn't come in the manner, or in this particular case, the time, that we might want it to. Um, as, as we open up the text here, we see that Jesus gets word from Martha and Mary, two sisters, that their brother, who Jesus loves, is deathly ill. Lazarus is fallen sick with something. We don't know what, but what we do know is that you, you could probably imagine Martha and Mary getting word to Jesus so that he would come heal Lazarus. And what Jesus does instead of springing into action and rushing to the scene Instead, Jesus decides to delay. Both Martha and Mary clearly have faith in Jesus' healing power. Um, In their individual conversations with Jesus, they both say, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. They know that Jesus has the power to heal, uh, but I would imagine they're confused why he doesn't come. He wasn't there. Uh, Instead, it says that after having heard Lazarus was ill, he stays two days longer in the place that he was. Instead of going, Jesus decides to delay, which is confusing. Resurrection is confusing. But not only does Jesus delay two days, uh, it also says that by the time he gets to the tomb where Lazarus is, he's been dead for four days. Uh, Now this time stamp of four days must be important because it's repeated two times throughout our passage. I don't know if you caught it, but it, it says that when Jesus gets to Bethany... Uh, Lazarus had already been dead for four days, but then when Jesus tells them to roll away the stone, they say, Lord, there's going to be a stench there, for he's been in the tomb four days. Or, if you prefer, uh, I like how the King James Version puts it, Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) But why would Jesus delay? Why would he delay and let Lazarus lay dead in a tomb for four days as people mourn before showing up. Let me suggest two things. First, I think uh, that Jesus delays because there was a concept, uh, a theory in the ancient world that Jesus and the story unfolds um, within, that when somebody died, they were somehow or another more dead after four days than they were after one or two days. It was probably because there was a theory that, that the spirit of somebody who died would actually hover around their body for a period of the first three days, trying to re-enter the body. But on the fourth day, as you can imagine, in the warm climate that Jesus is in, uh, the body would begin to decay. And the spirit, it was thought, would, would know that the jig is up, there's no hope of re-entering, and it would go on. Now, first century EKGs were not as good as ours are today. Uh, so, so I think that it's quite possible that people would have thought to have been dead when in reality they had slipped into a comatose-like state as they neared the stages of, of death. Um, and, and it's possible that people came back to life, quote-unquote, after a day or two when in reality they were just in a really shallow, deep sleep, coma-like state. And so this was probably used to explain why that would happen, and they would startle their loved ones as they came back from the dead. Now, I don't think that Jesus buys into this theory, 
But what I do think is that he decides to delay because he knows that if he raises Lazarus from the dead after only two days, there may have been people in the crowd who would have said, it's not that impressive. I mean, Lazarus has only been dead for a a few days. I mean, the spirit's still hovering around. It's good, but it's not that good. I think that Jesus wanted to show that, that beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lazarus was totally and finally dead. But second, let me suggest that I think Jesus also decides to delay in order to give Martha and Mary and everyone else what they really, truly needed. When you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, you see that there's many times where people come to Jesus looking for help with a particular need, maybe a physical healing, But what they're met with is Jesus helping them with a physical healing, but also giving them more than they bargained for. Jesus will occasionally heal people who are, say, paralyzed, but then also forgive their sins. An encounter with Jesus oftentimes has more than the person thought. And I think it's because Jesus knows, as in the case with Martha and Mary, that what they thought they needed was healing physically for their brother But he knows what they really need is to see the glory of God. To experience resurrection power. It was his plan from the moment that he learns of Lazarus' condition. It it says in verse 4, Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it's for the glory of God. See, we interpret any sort of delay in medical aid as cruel. If you call an ambulance and they give you a wait time of two days, you would be suing the healthcare system. (laughs) And for good cause. But this delay isn't for the sake of cruelty. It's, It's for the two sisters, Martha and Mary, to get a taste of God's matchless power and inconceivable glory. And while Martha and Mary can't taste that glory quite yet, What looms around the corner is the climax of Jesus' gospel signs and a preview of the ultimate resurrection that doesn't just affect a man named Lazarus from a town named Bethany, but it affects you and me and the whole world. And at the center of it all is a claim unlike any other. I am the resurrection and the life. In this moment... Jesus claims not to merely be a participator in resurrection, but resurrection itself. He claims to not just be a participator in life, but the author of life. And what Martha doesn't know, in simply hearing these words of Jesus, is that new life has come to Bethany, and that life is a person. But not just any person. Jesus the visible image of the invisible God. Hmm. Martha clearly doesn't grasp the full weight of what this means yet. It won't be until her dead brother walks out of a tomb that she grasps the weight of what Jesus is telling her in this moment. You know, there's a often quoted atheist turned into a Christian named C.S. Lewis uh, that that we around here like to quote a lot. it's because he has some pretty good things that he says. And one of them is that he says our problem sometimes is that our desires aren't too strong. The things we want aren't too great. The problem is that our desires are too weak. I think a similar point could be made 
about our view of God. The issue oftentimes isn't that our view of God is too grand, but that it's too small. I think that Martha in this moment exemplifies this point. She doesn't grasp how great God could possibly be in the midst of her suffering. And oftentimes us too, amidst the pain of our lives, we fail to grasp the glory of God that says, I am the new life that you have desperately been longing for. There's no part of you or your story that would not seem light and momentary held up next to the glory of God. And yet, the pain and the suffering that you might feel like marks your story is not met by a God that deems it insignificant. When God sees you in your suffering, his reaction is not to say, hello, like, why, are you, why are you struggling with things? Why are you sad? Why are you crying? Don't you know I'm God? Everything's going to be good. Ironically, it's often the things that we, we might say to one another amidst our suffering in, in an attempt to console them. But what we're met with isn't a God who says, don't weep. We're met with a God who cries with us. Which leads us to our second point. Resurrection cries with us. Some of you might know the 35th verse of John chapter 11 that we read. Jesus wept as the shortest verse in the entire Bible. And uh, in addition to that being some great Bible trivia that you can pull out and use at a party. um, It is also a short little verse two little words that are packed with so much of an incredible glimpse into the heart of God. You see, um, I think that, that Jesus isn't weeping because Lazarus has died. It wouldn't make sense. At the beginning of the text, we see that, that Jesus knows all along he's going to bring Lazarus out of the dead. He says, that, he says that this illness doesn't lead to death. It will pass through death, but it leads to glory. So he can't be crying at the anguish of Lazarus, who in the next few verses he will call out of the tomb. He must be crying for some other reason. He knows how the story ends. I think that Jesus weeps at their invitation. In verse 34, Jesus asks them where they've laid Lazarus' body. And they reply with an invitation. They say, come and see, Lord. Now, ironically, this invitation is the same invitation that Jesus gives as he calls his first few disciples. Eleven chapters earlier, Jesus says, come and see. And what's underneath this invitation Jesus extends to his first followers is, is to come and see the abundant life that is accompanied with following me. Only this time... The invitation is not from Jesus, it's to Jesus. And it isn't for him to experience abundant life. Now, as they tell Jesus to come and see where they've laid their dead brother, the invitation is for Jesus to experience the pain and the suffering of their reality. It's an invitation for Jesus to step into their loss and their suffering. And then Jesus, God in the flesh weeps with those who weep. His love for them moves him to tears when he sees their pain. Now, I don't, I don't know each and every story in this room. I know some. 
But what I would bet is that you may have felt like me sometimes in, and asked the question to God, God, could you possibly know how deeply I am hurting? I would imagine that in a room this size, you have felt confused and frustrated as you sit in pain and suffering that seems to not make any sense, because I know that I have. And if you've asked this question, what I'd say to you is take a look at the tears of Jesus as they stream down his face and into the ground at a town called Bethany to know that resurrection, Jesus cries with you. But resurrection does one final thing. Resurrection calls out to us. See, the time has come for Jesus to make tears of mourning turn to tears of joy. But do you know what happens in the very next paragraph uh, of of the story that we just read? We didn't read the next part, um, so don't worry, it won't show up on the quiz. But but what happens after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead is the religious elite begin to get together and start to plot and scheme how they might arrest and then eventually kill Jesus. I think they know that after Jesus raises Lazarus and they get word of it, They know that Jesus is far more powerful than they ever thought or imagined and that he must be dealt with. There's a pastor um, by the name of Tim Keller who reflects on this point and, and maybe sums it up best by saying this. Jesus did not come with a sword in his hand. He came with nails in his hands. He did not come to bring judgment. He came to bear judgment. He knew That if he raised Lazarus from the dead, they were going to kill him. He knew that the only way he could bring Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself in the grave. The only way to interrupt Lazarus' funeral is to cause his own. He knew that if he was going to save us from death, he was going to have to go to the cross. And knowing all that, he does it anyway. He calls out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Imagine what Lazarus felt. For real, as he laid in that tomb, dead. Imagine what he felt as his heart sputtered like an old engine back to life and began to beat again. Imagine what it was like for the blood that had stayed still for four days to start coursing and circulating through his veins What do you think it felt like for his cold, pale skin to feel the warmth of sunlight as it pokes through the entrance to a tomb that just got opened again? And what do you think it was like for his ears to be filled with the sweetest sound he had ever heard, the sound of Jesus calling his name into new life? He's calling your name too. He's calling my name. Ryan, come out. Friend, I wonder, um, do you long for your ears to be filled with the sound of Jesus calling your name into new life? I hope that I'm right in saying that nobody in this room is physically dead. Okay. (laughs) Uh, It was quiet, so I got a little nervous. Um, I hope that I'm wrong in in saying anyone in here is physically dead. I'm afraid that I'm right in saying that many of us in this room have felt spiritually dead or maybe emotionally dead 
at some point in your life. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you know far too well the feeling of things like anxiety or depression or addiction or shame or guilt pressing in a little bit too close. Maybe the promotion or the relationship or that new purchase isn't quite cutting it anymore. And you are left wondering what else could there be? Maybe it's the pain of a day like Mother's Day. Do all the endeavors you thought might make you feel alive actually lead you to feel like you're in some cold tomb, wrapped inside? Jesus calls your name. Come out. Jesus is inviting you into new life, and there is more to your story than this. And it's not just a call for Lazarus, it's a call for you and me too. So I'll ask you the same question Jesus asks of Martha. Do you believe? As we close, I just want to say two things. First, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I hope that what you'll hear this morning is that resurrection is for you. Jesus is calling you into new life. You know, you were made for a life that is abundant and a life that is far more than this. And Jesus went to immeasurable lengths to earn you this new life, and he wouldn't have done it if you weren't worth every single bit of it. Second, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've likely experienced this new life. You know what it is like to experience the sound of Jesus calling you out of a tomb. But as Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, there's still one final problem. He is still wrapped in old grave clothes. Lazarus emerges into new life, still wearing the trappings of an old one. So I wonder, have you ever been unwilling to shake off some dirty grave clothes? Do you find yourself sometimes wandering back into the cave from time to time? Oftentimes, maybe without even realizing it. What I hope that you'll see is that Jesus went to far too great of a length for you to, for you to keep wrapping yourself like a dead man. If you are in Christ, remember that you are a new creation, so let the old pass away. May you all see and hear and know the call of Jesus as he beckons you into new life. Let's pray. God, it is you who calls us, who cries with us. Um, You are the resurrection and the life. We pray that you would meet us today amidst our confusion of your ways and join us in our tears to call us into a deeper, fuller life. By your grace, would we shed our dirty old rags and trade them for the wholeness that you purchased for us on the cross. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.